Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Books Boys, live from the Grand Library, the Dean and PJ. He's PJ. Hello there. How's it going? I'm the Dean, and we are the Books Boys. Sure, let me tell you, Dean, about the other day. Sure, I was talking to Jimmy. Oh, oh, uh, Uncle Michael, can you can you please leave the cash? Sure, look, can I? I would like to join the show, Uncle Michael. Please, this is a very serious uh, uh, show about books. Is it about a good book? Is it about a good book, Dean? Is it? It's not. It's, it's about some good books. It's about some good books, I can tell you. Uh, sure. Sure, look. Sure, I wouldn't approve of that sort of thing at all, but I might leave now. All right, Uncle. Look, just just take a seat. Drink your drink your power setem all there. All right. Well, we, all managed right, to make it to episode, we managed to make it to episode 10 before we had your character work, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is the Books Boys show. Get it? Buy it? Books. Books. What's it all about? Well, people know what the books are now because we've made it so long. I think they they figured out that it's a readable, paperless object with some words on it. Right. I think people are getting it. You know, episode ten, taking ten episodes, I'm still deeply confused. Uh, the more nature, I think I'm coming along as well. I mean, now I can read a book. I almost know all the letters. It's brilliant. What? That's mad. almost know almost all the letters now. So it's it's great. You know, that's mad. Well, I thought we could mix up our order a little bit this 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 month, PJ. Instead of me doing all my books and then you doing all your books, I thought since mm-hmm. we've read three each, we could uh, we could do like one and one. We could take it in turns. Awesome, let's do that, dude. Yeah, totally. Well, I, so, I'm, I'm very excited about the books I read this month. Let me tell you, so am I. To be fair, well, I'm excited about one of the three that I read. Um, but we are joined <laughs> we're joined this month by little uh, cheap cheap the bird uh, on the webcam for no one to see apart oh. from us. Far from us, I like it. Sweet, and a little shout out to everyone on the TNC network and everyone listening on the radio, particularly in Oxford as well. So, I'm going to start with my my first book, PJ. I read right. now. To be fair, I thought I was only going to read one book this month because my yeah, first no, book was The Count of Monte Cristo, which is supposed to be a nice uh, a nice uh, paperback thriller, right? No, it's it's 1,200 pages. And it can wow. it's a it's a great book and it is kind of a page turner, but it's slow going as well, just because of the, the sheer length, you know. It's okay. almost just under twelve hundred pages. Uh, it's by Dumas, who we've reviewed before with some of his uh, his mm-hmm. three musketeers books. Gonna be honest, right off the bat, I need to say two things. This okay. is an amazing book, but yeah. it's not as good as the three musketeers. So I'm just gonna Isn't say it? that straight away. No. Um wow. 
it's a second you know it's it's good it's just not not quite there it, it lacks some of the the romanticism and the the swashbucklery of the of the three musketeers but okay now some people some some people love it more than three musketeers like uh, yeah i mean a lot lot of people actually do but for for me just not quite Uh, and it was written at the same Mm. time like the exact same time as the three musketeer trilogy they were written like alongside each other yeah that's mad okay so it's mixing universes and everything or or is it set in the same literary universe um there's no there's no references to make that clear Mm. um but it could be, you know, there's nothing that, to make it impossible either, you know. Right, uh, to okay. give you the backstory, this is set um, during that period of time where, you know, the Emperor Napoleon uh, had essentially been, been kicked out of France, but was yeah. trying to come back and did, in fact, make a brief, brief comeback before, yeah. you know, being finally kicked out again by the, by the royals. <laughs> so that's the historical framework for this novel. Um, look, I don't want to give spoilers. We never give spoilers for the end. It's tricky with a book so long because, like, I have to say something and I have to maybe go into it a little bit. Um, I'll try not to give too much away. Uh, but to be honest, it's impossible to recap because there's just so many characters and there's so much going on. You know, it's, it take, it's impossible it would, to recap in in ten minutes. You know, it would take two two episodes. I mean, we'd have to talk about it for the next two months. Then <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, so what we have is we have this chap, Ed, Edmund Dantes, and yeah. he's a naive little chap and he's in love with a Catalan fisherwoman girl thing. And, uh, and that's grand as far as it goes. But then there's some mischievous chaps. So there's a guy, Danglers, who just doesn't like him for reasons unknown, just doesn't like him. Okay. Um, then there's Cadmus, who's just, you know, Danglers sort of associate and he doesn't particularly like him. He doesn't particularly dislike him either. He just kind of goes along with things. And then there's Fernand, who is in love with um, Dante's betrothed. Huh. So they, right at the beginning, they hatch a plot and basically say, let's get this guy in jail. Let's get rid of, of Dante's. So they get him put in jail. And of course, you know, in this society, he's put in a dungeon, a dark dungeon for life with no trial. And that's it. <laughs> Right. Okay. They say he's a supporter of Napoleon. Let's just get rid of him. Done. Um, he does have so a again, chance at survival. So go ahead. No, again, there's like the theme of, of revenge, isn't it? That's very common in Dumas' pair. Yeah. Pair's, uh, novel too. He is. It is. Um, there's a chap called Villefort who is the procureur de Ra. So actually, he has the opportunity to. He's the the legal boss essentially. He has the opportunity to free Dante's or to at least look into it. But to protect okay. his own career, he doesn't bother. Because it turns out the letter Dante's was about to, to deliver unknowingly was to Napoleon and was um or, or to an advisor of Napoleon and was hmm. from or to uh, was involved with Villefort's father, who was actually um a traitor to the to the realm, essentially. He was a you know a bad guy as far as his son was concerned. So to hush it up. He lets Dante just stay in jail, rot, rot in prison. Uh, and no one thinks anything of it. They don't see him for, you know, 20 years or whatever. They think this guy's, you know, rotted in prison and, and died. Um, but he makes friends with, a, with a, an abbe in prison. They, they burrow into each other's rooms. And this, this little, um, you know, ship hand, deck hand, mm-hmm. learns so much from the abbe because he was a very learned man. And he teaches him everything. And he leaves, he eventually escapes prison 
as a very, very highly educated uh, person. Right. And with millions and millions and millions of wealth that the monk had hidden or knew about that it was hidden (laughs) on the island of Monte Cristo. So Monte Cristo is not, you know, it it is an island, um, but there is no count of Monte Cristo. He just makes himself the count by being very rich and living on the island, essentially. Um, But then it all gets a bit weird. You know, that first part, up until now, that could almost have been a standalone book. Um, Okay. You know, and then we move into the second kind of sphere, which is, you know, about three quarters of the length. And what we have is all sorts of intricate stuff. So he no longer goes by Dante's. He goes by the Count of Monte Cristo. No one really knows his real name. He's just the Count of Monte Cristo. So Um, no one knows that this guy... um, Yeah, okay, so he just completely has hidden away his former identity. Does anyone know? No, well, almost no. Um, But he also has two other aliases. He's also Ah. Lord Winter and the Abbe (laughs) Busconi. So when people say, like, who is this Count of Monte Cristo? Has he got any, you know, credentials established? Oh, yes, he's a good friend of the Abbe Busconi. And, you know, so so he sets up his own credentials with, like, a series of, of false identities, essentially. Clever. Nice. And he has some some servants. He has a female slave, Greek, called Hedy. But he doesn't treat her like a slave. He treats her almost like a goddess. Like he oh. is very, very good to her. Um, then he also has Ali and Bertuccio. Now, I don't want to get into massive details because, as I say, it's, like, it's impossible. But basically what happens is there's these two chaps, Albert and Franz, that he befriends, these two young chaps, but they're suspicious of him. One of them, at least, is, is suspicious of him. And he, 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 they're in Rome, and they're hanging around in Rome. And then yeah. they eventually say, let's meet the Count of Monte Cristo in Paris. We've got to bring it back to, to Paris, you know. So they meet him there. He, he arrives. And there's so many characters, it's difficult to say. But basically, he sets out on a plot to get revenge on all the people who harmed him and who put him in prison. So that's mm. Donglers. That's Fernand. That's Villefort. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he does this, you know, but towards the end, he loses his own morality and there's actually some soul searching that goes on. Mm-hmm. But there's also these amazing, massive Hollywood movie dramatic reveals. You know, each time he finally reveals his real identity to someone <laughs> and they're, you know, in shock, quaking in their boots, you know, because he goes through, <laughs> he, he, he sets up these really intricate, traps for them and uh-huh. but this man they think he's a vampire at one point because he's like emotionless and cold but you know perfect you know aristocracy essentially you know and they, mm. and very pale from his time in the dungeon as well and they, they mm. find it like his manners are impeccable it's difficult to reproach him but there's something just strange about this chap and they just can't they don't know what to say you know there's something weird about him and that attracts you, doesn't it? That whole kind of drank, Dracula kind yes, of... Yes, it does. But yeah. guess what? This book is full of weird Victorian coincidences that make it a little bit hard to believe. Because oh, once wow. he gets in Paris, who does he make friends with? Well, Donglers is there, and he's now a baron, and he's doing very well. Um, the Count of Morcerf, <laughs> the father of Albert. Oh, hold on. It just turns out that that's Fernand, and Albert's mother is the, is the Catalan that he fancied all those years ago. Oh. And, and she maybe recognizes him, but we're not sure. And then it just so turns out that Villefort is there and that Franz is engaged to Villefort's daughter, Valentine. So everything's just coming together. 
And then it turns out that Madame Danglers and Villefort had a, an illicit love child and they tried to kill the baby. And who would come in and rescue? Only Bertuccio, the servant. So like, there's just, there's just so many. And then that son grows up to be someone that the Count then meets and, and introduces to people. And there's just so many coincidences and everyone knew everyone else and yeah, no one knows yeah, who yeah. anyone else is. Like, it, it's almost it's just... farcical at times. <laughs> oh my God, right. So it's just like, he's not really bothering too much with... Which realism? All right, fair enough. Yeah, but it's an amazing, amazing, amazing book. I, I, I can't yeah. fault it. I honestly, yeah, it do, maybe, it maybe it epic. could have been shorter. But no, it sounds epic. I mean, it just sounds like. Uh, I mean, why shorter? I mean, people nowadays watch like huge long, you know, Netflix series or whatever, or they watch The Wire seasons one to nine hundred and eighty or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like long is is good. You know why not? I suppose it is. It is. Yeah. And I mean, I read this. It didn't take me a month in the end. It took me 15 days. So I did it in, really in half it. the time I was meant to. Yeah. And there's bands of brigands and there's all sorts. There's this bit where Albert's captured by brigands. And of course, the Count of Monte Cristo just happens to have influence over the brigands so he can rescue him. He can do anything, this guy. You want anything done, he can just do it anywhere in the world, you know. Um, and the chap, this is amazing. This is the kind of character I love. He's rescued by, he's, he's, he's captured by brigands. He doesn't care. He just goes in and goes to sleep. And everyone's like, well, normally people are begging and whatever and screaming. This guy just goes in calmly and goes to sleep. And they wake him up and they say, you're free. And he says, why have you woken me up to tell you you're free, Your Excellency? And he said, in the future, never awaken a man this early in the morning. Like, I would still have been free in a few hours time if you'd waited. You know, <laughs> he's just so relaxed, like does not care. Oh, wow. Okay, it's awesome. So it's got some um, real great characters, right? It does. And there's this old guy, um, Noirtier, Villefort's father, who's old yeah. and disabled and cannot speak. But Valentine can communicate to him through a series of blinks and winks and, you know, <laughs> this, kind, this kind of thing. Right, right. Um, <laughs> it's, it's insane, you know. And, but you've got these, these really mean characters, you know, like Villefort and Danglers. Uh, yeah, some of the coincidences are, are a bit hard to come by. But he, he goes through his revenge you know, so beautifully. And there's a part at the end where he, he, he almost can't believe himself, you know, and he's rich man, rediscover the poor man you were, free man, rediscover the prisoner, resurrected man, remember the corpse, because he, he's losing himself to, to revenge. And he actually yeah. almost doesn't recognize himself anymore. Wow. Okay. Wow. I mean, I do love the, the theme of revenge. I mean, you know, if you ever watched, for example, uh, Park Chan-wook's uh, Old Boy, uh, it's a great Korean yes, movie. I have exactly. It was a similar, not 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 necessarily a similar story, but it's the same kind of thing where they trick someone and they prison him for years and take him away for his daughter, and then he just comes out seeking revenge. And I mean, yeah. obviously, you got the story a thousand times in Hollywood or whatever, um, or, or Breaking Bad does a great example. But I mean, yeah, I mean, this must be one of the first real huge epic revenge until everyone's kind of like ruined. I think it has story. to be. Until, until you one, ruined yourself. Yeah. yeah, there's only one other thing I want to say about it. There's another family called the Morels, and they're like the only good family in the book. Okay. Um, and they were the ones who originally employed Dante's on the boat. And the dad's dead now, but he meets their son. And um, oh. he, you know, he does some mysterious things where he helps them out of a financial difficulty and saves the life of the father. And the father suspected it was Dante's, but didn't tell anyone. And we find out much, much, much later that he suspected it and told them before he died. Um, and then, you know, by mysterious coincidences, he ends up 
rendering the same assistance and preventing the son from committing suicide 20 years to the date, to the exact date that he prevented the father. You know, there's a lot of oh, this wow. romantic coincidence going on. Okay. Um, but they're the only people that think they recognize him. They think, you know, there's something right. about this guy because they're good. And they're the only people uh, who are not so self-absorbed as to not recognize wow. someone whose life they ruined. You know, these good oh people God. remember him, or, but they're not sure and they don't tell him, but they, they have a suspicion. Um, and somebody does, um, yeah, and, and, their, and their family name is Immorals, right? So it's kind of like saying that they have morality in them. Yeah, exactly. And, and t- tell me this, though. It's written in the 40s, right? 1840s. Yes, and 1840s. So, I mean, technically that would be a realist uh, kind of era, but it, it sounds a very kind of romantic sort of uh, it novel. is. I mean, Dumas okay. is too romantic. I mean, even the, all, all right. the whole Three Musketeers books, they're full of romance. When I mean, there's realist aspects, but no, the, the romance is yeah. bulging through, you know. <laughs> yeah, it does sound like, I mean, a realist aspects might be, I mean, is it describing the society of the time pretty detailed or is it not even bothering too much? Is it just bothering more on the revenge kind of theme yeah there is a bit of i mean just because of the sheer length of the book there's a lot of different scenes so we do get to have a good look at that type of society the rich parisian opera going society you know we almost get a little bit a little bit of vanity fair style where we see this this kind of Mm. this rich society and so it is it is good to see that um but it focuses mostly on on the it's a bit disjointed at times because there's just so much going on it doesn't Mm. always flow as well as it could um, mm. But it all comes back, you know, at the end, and, and it's it gets very addictive towards the end, you know. And okay. th- I mean, I love the big reveals and the, the the big romantic parts, you know. Yeah, I love it. Sounds sounds great. Yeah, love to read it. Um, talking about um, romanticism, you know what I read this month? Well, talking. I think with I know, Elias. but let's let's have it from yourself. <laughs> We're talking to Leah Sackett um, last month. And her love of uh, the Alice books, the Alice in Wonderland books, mm-hmm. made me realize, you know what, I, I should give it a try because I have given it a try at least twice in my life and didn't get into it. So I got out, got out the, my Alice, uh, Alice Adventure in Wonderland book and started reading it. And I must say, I, I absolutely loved it. it. It's such a good book. I mean, you know this. I, I've, I've talked to you about this before now mm-hmm. throughout the whole month. That I just really love the Alice's Adventures in Wonderland uh, book so there are two books guys so first of all there is alice adventures in wonderland which was uh published in 1865 by lewis carroll whose name was whose real name was charles Doxon. that can't be pronounced name mm-hmm. charles Doxon. so anyway you know the story about alice uh, she falls through a rabbit hole and she ends up like, underground but really the underground world is just featured with a lot of talking animals and, you know, kind of like two-dimensional card-like people. And really, it's just, it, it, it goes into the category of uh, literary nonsense. So Lewis mm-hmm. Carroll just really enjoyed, just, just he enjoyed rhymes and kind of children literature. But it's just, it was so, it's so absurd that it's not even, it's not absurdism. It's just like, it's just kind of like, it's just, what's the point of this? It's just, okay, it rhymes, you know, like pie rhymes with uh, tie or something like that. So if, if pie rhymes with tie and uh, die, then he's just going to, he's just going to somehow like form some kind of story with that, you know, some kind of episode. Okay. And, and really it's very episodic. I, I have to say it's not really strong and like plot line. That's what I think. Really? No, I, don't, I just don't find it very strong plot. I and mean, there is a plot, but it really just, at least the book, uh, it really just goes from one episode to the next episode to the next, and it seems very random and disjointed, I have to say. 
Right. But I think the point of Alice in Wonderland is more, uh, it's more about like this child's perception of, and that her fantasy becomes reality. And you're really not sure with um, the story if she's kind of just imagining it. Mm-hmm. And when you read both books, actually, you just, you just think at the end, so did she really, did she actually, did she actually dream it all? Did she imagine it mm. all? Because it well, kind maybe of that's ends... why it's disjointed. Then, like a child's imaginings wouldn't be re- have a coherent narrative necessarily. You know exactly. So it's a fascinating book for like a, a psychologist. You know what I mean? Like studying mm. dreams, or especially a psychoanalyst. And yeah, this book was particularly popular by uh, later on as well by psychoanalysts and other people interested in that. Um, but I think yeah, I think that's the, that's a strong point. I think the strong point is point here is that Lewis managed to, Carol, sorry, Carol managed to portray a child's imagination really accurately, maybe like the more accurately than anyone did before that. Not that it's the best and strongest children novel. I, you know, you know my opinions about that. I still think Spiri's Heidi is the best mm-hmm. children's novel for so many reasons. And it's, and it, it is, I think, sorry, but I think it's, it's just a stronger book. But it doesn't mean that Alice of Wonderland is just is also a great book in a very different way, in the sense of this is a child's perspective. Heidi is just a great, really a good story that can encourage you to be a better person. Uh, Alice's Adventure in Wonderland, there's no real morality and there's not really a lesson and there's not really a plot line, for, in my opinion. It just seems like he was just coming, you know, just just writing and coming along with a story as it goes. Um, Saying that, though, this might interest you because you are the absolute expert in the theme, in the subject of logic at university. This is true. This is true. We studied logic together in, in university. Yes. Good callback. <laughs> yes, I, I was the worst in the class. You were the best in the class. Somehow, I mean, yeah. <laughs> and um, actually, Lewis Carroll was a mathematician. And nice. he really played, he really knew a lot about logic. So it seems very interesting because this book seems very unlogical. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I want to say. I want to add to that that I read also the second book through the Looking Glass, mm-hmm. through the Looking Glass, excuse me, uh, written in eighteen seventy one. Now his his dad died uh, just before that. Um, you know he wasn't really in contact contact with the real Alice. Oh, for for those of you who don't know, Alice was uh, based on a real girl, and um, yeah, she's already kind of like growing up at this point. Through the Looking Glass is a lot more melancholic it's a lot more pessimistic there's a darker theme in that um he plays a lot there is this theme of cards in the first book and in the second one is chess and basically through the looking glass she goes through to the next world to the fantasy world through a glass through a mirror so so it's always interesting there's there's always these portals basically to the to these uh universe uh, I have to say, through the looking glass, it might be even stronger in in like this subjective state of like flowing to the next state. It's really, really, it's a, it's a metaphor straight from the beginning that she's actually in a chess game, and that she really has no control over what she's doing, mm-hmm. and she's just completely disjointedly going from one place to the next in order to become a queen. So she's a pawn, and she's going to become a queen. Now, in the um, in the film, in the Disney film they mix both plots but um 
through. I was going to ask you that because I've not read them, but I've seen the cartoon film. I was going to ask, is it based on both together? I think it's based on both of them together. But I have to say, it's been a while uh, now since I saw it. Uh, But yeah, I think they make both of them a lot. Okay. So this Um, is the stuff with the Queen of Hearts and the White Rabbit with the we're late for an important date and all, all that stuff, right? Exactly, guys. So this basically to talk about the plot, Alice Adventure Wonderland is the one that you know better probably that she's following a rabbit which goes down a rabbit hole and the rabbit is late and mm-hmm. basically Alice is falling down entering this world and in fact she just kind of goes along with the flow and she meets a lot of different animals that always give her a, a lesson uh, it's the same with through the looking glass so that's why I'm just mentioning now I know we're supposed to mention one book at a time but they're very much linked yeah no and, I think that's that's fine if they're if they're linked yeah of course yeah and basically, um, yeah, it's quite interesting. And now you've got the Cheshire Cats. I've got to mention that. Yes. Who, who must be, it's really one of the best um, characters ever. In the movie, I find him very creepy. He is, and he's extremely creepy in um, in the book as well. Um, but yeah, it's fascinating because he's just, he just appears out of nowhere. And then and then he just, and, he, and he's smiling. And just the fact that a cat will be smiling and he explains that he, that he kind of, it's kind of sad because like he, he explains that he's smiling when he's unhappy and he's, and he's, when he looks unhappy, he's, he's actually very happy. So he's actually not a very happy cat. So if he were at least a happy cat, but he's not, it's just, um, and, yeah. the, and the whole universe is actually filled with very uh, unlikable characters. I find that to say, it's not, I don't really think there, okay. I think like, because when I, for example, I wrote Okotama Express and I had a lot of animal characters. I, 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 you know, I can't help making them kind of likable in my opinion. But in this case, it's kind of like they kind of represent a bad uh, characteristic of human, of humanity. Right. So you've got like the dodo and, and the white rabbit kind of like, like always rushing to get in time for somewhere. You've got, um, oh my God, you've got uh, the dodo, you've got um, the caterpillar who's just kind of, it just seems to be an opium addict, in my opinion. But you got like mm-hmm. you got the Queen of Hearts and the King of Hearts, and you got this aristocracy in there as well. And it's just basically the Queen of Hearts just wants to behead everyone, and yeah. then the King of Hearts has to uh, has to excuse her behavior. Um, yeah, it, it's it's mad. And there's the Mock Turtle as well. I find him an interesting uh, character. Is this is this for kids or is this good for adults to read? I think that's my main my only question, really. Yeah, I would say that it's definitely uh, it's so much uh, uh, an adult street, definitely. Okay, and it's really relaxing. I find to read it. It's just you get in, you read it one day, and and it's you left with an impression more than the story. Okay, and the same I can say um, with um, through the looking glass. Now through the looking glass is is even more adult uh, focus. It's even darker. There is it's very it's very pessimistic. I find even more. It's got even more bizarre characters. Um, so there's a lot of, um, for example, there's Tweedledum and Tweedledee. Yes. And they're kind of just inseparable twins. Um, but nevertheless, the fact that they love each other is also maybe not a healthy love because they also fight against each other and they can't be separated. Mm-hmm. And you got the White Knight, right? Was Leah mentioned? She actually... She, if yeah, you, she did the White Knight uh, delivery service or uh, escort service. Yeah, escort service. Yeah, <laughs> I was confusing uh, that with uh, Kiki's delivery service. There, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? 
delivering pizza, right? Delivering pizza. And the white knight is just, um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny. He's falling off on, on, onto his head and stuff. But there's also something kind of like sad, sadomasochistic about the about the novel. Like, I, I think there's it's a very bizarre sort of kind of universe he's created that's often very creepy. And there is like, there is a lot of controversy about his life and his sexual, sexuality, you know, Lewis Carroll. So, I mean, I do wonder mm-hmm. about that in the novel, like, and stuff. Um, yeah. And so, anyway, that's awesome. Those are and two books. The big coincidence oh, is that sorry. while you were reading these, I was in Oxford mm. and I went to, to Alice's yeah. shop in Oxford at the, at the same time you're reading. It was a weird coincidence. <laughs> oh, my God. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. Because I, I, I was really into it. I mean, I, I just thought, wow, amazing. Yeah, no, it's a great universe, very inspiring and um, creepy. Creepy, definitely. And, and mm-hmm. creepy, but also kind of like just uh, enjoyable. It's a very strange mix and just really easy to read, I find. So mm-hmm. um, definitely recommend both books. Just read them one after the other. And it's just, it's just awesome, yeah. Okay. Well, what I'll do before we move on to our next ones is we'll have a quick message from our sponsors for this month. We have two sponsors. We have the right Corporation on. for Shorter Podcast Episodes, which you can find at shortshort.short. And it's helping us to keep our episodes concise and not two hours long. <laughs> uh, and also we have the Association for Picking a Pocket or Two, um, which we can learn all about, of course, in Oliver Twist. <laughs> so those are our sponsors for this week, um, or this month, I, I should say. But of course, we do also have our, our real sponsor, which is the Norwood Investing uh, LLC. And I'll put a link again, but that's an investment center focusing on becoming more financially independent um, courses on trading stocks and bonds and all that kind of stuff and they do a one-year deal so I'll, I'll put some info and a, and a link on that Sweet. on the on the episode as well um, and that's from, from Danny he's a, he's a great guy and uh, he's been supporting us for a while uh, oh PJ just before we get to the next bit I think I hear the telephone ringing uh, let's oh, just on the line okay hey you're through the books boys you got Dean and PJ on the line who's calling hey cool it's uh, Liam also known as Secondhand Bookman um oh. yeah so i just thought i'd ring in um about a little known story by charles dickens called george silverman's explanation um i don't know oh, if wow. either of you two are familiar with it no, no. i haven't heard this. I, I i thought i had read you know near enough the complete works of dickens but i i don't know that one i read all his novels wow. i read any short stories i could find but i don't know that one. Oh my god yeah, all right so you've got it you whoa I'd love to hear it. Is that? <laughs> yeah, I was quite I mean, I I had never heard of this story um, until about two weeks ago when I just um, okay. saw it in a bookshop. And when I put a review up, up of it online, um, I was had quite a lot of Dickens fans as well saying that they'd never heard of it either. Wow. Which is really bizarre considering um, the kind of story itself. Um, I suppose just to kind of give you a bit of history about it, um, it was published in 1868, um, so it was about two years before Dickens died. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the last complete work of fiction that he wrote um and he was just paid an extraordinary amount of money for this story um i I couldn't actually find out how much he was paid for for the story itself but in terms of the publication rights he was approached by um, a chap named james fields who was the editor at the atlanta america at the time um and he offered dickens a thousand pounds for the publishing rights for it to be published in america um before england Oh, that, that's a, that's a wow okay 
Yeah, uh, I mean, a thousand pounds back then in today's money. Um, it worked out to about 115 grand. Wow, just to have it published um, in America. And it's a really, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's literally just, just the publication, right? So, I mean, I don't know how much you got paid on top of that either. Um, and it's a, it's right. a really short story. I mean, it comes in at about 44 pages. Um, I actually like looked up the word count. Um, it comes in at 11,000 words. So for the price he's paid just the publication right, um, it basically worked out to about two and a half grand per page. He was getting paid for the oh story, um, or about ten pounds per word. TJ, if we can yeah, get you paid that much for Rockatama Express, you'll be doing quite well. Yeah, if you get that from my novel, wow, <laughs> that's an insane <laughs> deal. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. absolutely um, ludicrous amount of money. Um, and it's such an incredible story. I mean, it, it, which is why it kind of just baffles me that it just seems to fly under the radar. So many sort of um, Dickens fans, mm. I suppose, because um, you know, not only is it a brilliant story, it's you know the last piece of fiction that he completed, and he was just paid an, an obscene amount of money for it. Um, wow. But really short story as i said um 44 pages um i mean I, I don't know how kind of in depth you want me to go over the story in terms of like spoilers i mean do you want me to just kind of um, unpack it? our general rule yeah. is never spoil the ending but you can kind of you know talk yeah, about the first love to hear about half this. to two-thirds you know and i'd love to hear about the story yeah yeah it's fascinating okay well i uh, yeah i will keep the ending under wraps then um please I mean, it starts off, um, I mean, immediately it just feels really familiar as a Dickens story. Um, you know, opens right. up with George Silverman himself um, as a child living in this kind of squalid, damp um, cellar in Preston. Really unhappy childhood um, and ends up being orphaned. So immediately there's that kind okay, of... Okay, it's hitting all the tropes of, right yeah, away. Yeah. <laughs> Stereotypical yeah, pretty, pretty much. Um, and, you know, he kind of leads this kind of really miserable life, even when his parents are alive, that they treat him really harshly. Um, he keeps being accused of his mother of being sort of too worldly and wanting too many things, um, even when he's, you know, just asking for food and warmth. Um, so he's living in this kind of, yeah, I mean, it's, it's horrific. He's kind of existing in this sort of like purely kind of animalistic state, I suppose. Um, and his parents both end up dying of, of fever and he gets rescued from the cell. Uh, the, um, a clergyman who, who has a fantastic name, Charity Hawkyard. Um, and again, it, there's there's quite a few names in the story, like typical Dickens, you know, just really fantastic yeah, yeah. names. Yeah. Um, so he's kind of rescued by, by this clergyman and is sort of educated and sort of brought up in this quite religious environment um, and really doesn't like it. Um, and sort of throughout the story, he's basically living with this really sort of ingrained sense of and, and shame, really, um, due to kind of just being locked up for most of his life and just sort of the way his parents treated him. Um, he just has almost no self-esteem. He just looks down on himself and just considers himself, you know, like the worst person in the world. Um, you know, the kind of children who he's kind of brought up with, they sort of invite him to parties and he turns them down um, because he just mm. doesn't feel like he's, he's good enough. And he just really just sort of like isolates himself mm. and just sort of sabotages his kind of chance at, at happiness, really. Like every, every time that sort of option comes along, he just, you know, blows wow. it out of the water, really. Um, okay. So he's slightly different than the, you know, it sounded like the orphan story. It's the same as Oliver Twist. It's the same as Great Expectations, yeah. David Copperfield. But actually, most of them, they're looking for a happy ending. It sounds like maybe this guy's not really even looking for a happy ending. 
Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, he's kind of just completely alone as well. I mean, there, there's no sort of Joe Garvery figure like you get in Great Expectations. Right. Mm. You know, someone to kind of like you know really sort of coddle him and and, and bring him up. <laughs> so he's just kind of dealing with with all the stuff um, himself. Um, eventually becomes an adult and sort of goes off to, to sort of university or college to get educated, um, and you know continues to kind of carry this this guilt around with him um, until he's approached by quite a wealthy woman who and she wants him to educate her daughter, okay. and mm. he falls in love with the daughter. Oh, she falls in course. love with him as well. Oh. And mercy, you know. I won't, you know, kind of say, say what happens at the end, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, it is quite a sort of sad story. It, it, you know, it's oh, it that good. kind of classic, um, you know, sort of like typical kind of happy ending. Yes, that you standard get. Dickens it, ending. It's, it's absent. Um, oh, no, so, so, because in most Dickens novels, you know, just no matter how sad it gets, they all get married and live happily ever after in the end. So it's, it's a shame if we don't get that, actually. <laughs> Uh, it sounds very yes, existentialist yeah. and modernist, actually. It doesn't sound like uh, Dickens' novel. It sounds like something, I don't know, like Gor- Gorsky would write or something like that, or Dostoevsky. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. I mean, it's, it's bizarre because the sort of story exists in this in sort of two camps where, like, on the one hand, mm-hmm. it, it really does feel like really familiar as, as a different mm-hmm. story. You know, you kind of got those, those classic tropes. You've got, you know, the kind of fantastic names and things like that. But then, you know, on the other hand, you know, it doesn't have the happy ending. Um, you know, one of the most notable things that's missing from it is um, is humour. You know, it's not particularly Aww. funny, which is quite strange. So I think Dickens lost humor. he yeah. lost his humour near the him. end. I think you know his last <laughs> couple of works. They're not really. They don't have that humour of his early stuff. You know, it's 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 quite sad actually. Uh, yes. Yeah. It's, yeah, it is. It is such a shame. Um, I mean, I, I did manage to kind of track down a quote by Dickens when he went back and, and read um, this kind of short story, and he said oh. himself that it, it feels like someone else had, had written it, like it's fallen out of someone else's head. Really? So, yeah, it's kind of bizarre. It's sort of really kind of Dickensian on one hand, but it's also kind of missing a lot of, mm. of the kind of typical things that you'd expect to find in a Dickens story. Um, I have just one question for you because of its length. Does it read like a real short story or does it read like a plan for a novel? You know, uh, do, is, it, is, it, is it what he could have turned into a full novel or is yeah. it very clear that it was always just going to be a short story? Um, I don't know. I mean, to be honest, I, I really wish it, it, it was a novel. As I said, it's about 44 pages long and I just sort of wish it was about 444. Yeah. You know, okay, there's kind yeah. of so much potential you know yeah there's basically just so much potential in there to kind of explore the character and um you know a lot of kind of stuff in his life does get skipped over quite quickly um but i mean you know it still does feel like a short story it is still enjoyable um you know it's kind of very tight there's not a kind of like wasted word or a syllable Mm. in it um well hey if i was getting paid two grand per page i would not be wasting any words you know (laughs) well Well, this i mean this this is the sort of common criticism you find you know when people talk about Dickens, they always say he was paid by the word, so he just stretched everything out and everything becomes sort of so flowery, you know, which wow. I, I've, I've never yeah. agreed with personally. You know, yeah. I just, just never thought that, you know, great expectations could have benefited from, you know, taking a single word out of that no. novel. Um, yeah, yeah. It's just... He, you know, Some of them could, though. So you could on. you could cut a little bit out of Bleak House, I think. That's, you know, that doesn't need to be yeah. 800 pages and very little happens in it, you know. That, that could be cut a little bit. <laughs> Our joke is yeah, that, okay, he, yes, that he, yeah, that's fair enough. I'll tell you 
our joke is that he took the Anna Karenina method, which was a best-selling method to make big, huge novels, to have like a short story. And then you just put an agricultural manual around it. So I think that right. he was kind yeah. of going for that Tolstoy method. <laughs> yeah, so if, 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 if it was like Anna Karenina gets a mention in, uh, in every one of the episodes about we it. Love it. So I, just, I just had to mention it. I just had to mention it. It was on my agenda to mention it. So. Man, thanks so much for calling in. Let's plug your Instagram. Yeah. It's Secondhand Bookman. And you're doing book reviews um, on there yeah, all the time. Secondhand Bookman. Um, yeah, pretty much, yeah. Secondhand Bookman, all just sort of one one word, all, all lowercase. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and I love I love you. your I love your mission. So it seems like you're you're going, like what I get from that. But you can correct me though. What I get from that is that you go to what secondhand bookshops or you search for books that are unknown and then bring them back to life. Can we say, is that what you do? Yes. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm sort of I'm I'm quite similar to Dean in the sense that you know 99 of my book shopping is done in, in secondhand bookshops. Um, with us too, like we love that. So, we love that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's great. I love it. Bookshops are just these kind of yeah, these magical. Actually, my my places. confession is that the bookshop that I always talk about going to, like PJ introduced me to that shop. I didn't even know that shop before. There so that's that's PJ's gift to me. Actually, there you go. The magic bookshop we call it. Yeah. <laughs> well, next time you're in yeah, Belfast. Yeah, yeah, next time you're in Belfast. Yeah, next time you're in Belfast, we'll yes, meet up yeah. and uh, go there and excavate. <laughs> awesome. Take your shovel. Yeah, no, that sounds absolutely wonderful. Thanks, man. Brilliant. Awesome. Dude. Wow. Yeah. So, PJ, well, that was pretty cool. We had a uh, secondhand bookman calling in. Uh, you can check him out on Instagram. And we, we learned some stuff about uh, some unknown Dickens. Yeah, that was really interesting. My God. And yeah, I really liked the way he told this story. I mean, that was very interesting about finding this, about finding this unusual book. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of it, so... Nor had I. He's a cool guy, and we're going to hear from him again because he's going to he's going to co-host uh, Caper Captains with us this month. Oh, sweet! Okay, let's mention that we have every month Caper Captains, which is our murder mystery, our Agatha Christie um, mini episodes, and mm. we we set up the plot, and you, normally I set up the plot, and you guess who done it. Um, <laughs> but while we're on that theme, guys, if you go to patreon.com slash booksboys, you can get all of our bonus shows. We we recently released Film Fellows episode two, where we talked about Nightmare on Elm Street. And we've got mm. interviews from the vault where I've I've done decade old interviews with uh, rock stars and musicians. And we've got Playboys, our Shakespeare reviews, and we're going to try to get a few more of those done soon. There's a lot nice. of stuff on there, guys. Um, and it's only... Um, Two pounds fifty, two euros fifty, or three dollars per month, and uh, that's that's Bargain. amazing. It's very cheap. It's so cheap that we're almost we should be we're almost paying you to, to take it. You know, like we're almost if, paying you. If it's any cheaper, we'll be paying you. You know, exactly. I mean, any cheaper, I'll be giving you money from my pockets just just to, that's just it. to open your ears. Yeah. Um, but if you want to support us, that's a great place to do it. patreoncom slash booksboys. There is a way you can. There's two ways that you can support us for free, though. Give us a good iTunes review if you listen on iTunes. That's that's an easy mm. thing to do. Or if you're on the Spotify's, listen to our albums. I've got my album out, a dozen most listenable, and we've got our our joint album, a Decade of Friendship. Oh. Those are both up there on the Spotify. And all you got to do is listen. And every time you listen, we get a fraction of a fraction of a penny. And if we get enough people listening in about ten <laughs> years time, we might we'll get be able to. In about ten years' time, we can afford a subscription to our own Patreon. So that's that's a measure of success, you know. <laughs> exactly, guys. So just support us, you know. You know, one penny is better than uh, half a penny, right? Can't that's do it. much with half a penny. So, like, we need a few half pennies. <laughs> that's it. So those those albums are are on Spotify, and there's links to everything, of course, on, on booksvoice.com. 
And we still have our mystery book giveaway. So if you'd like to win a mystery book, just email booksboys at hotmail.com. Tell us what you're reading. Just a couple of lines. That's all we need. Um, PJ, the second second book I read this month is, I'm going to show it to you here. It's by Johan Harry, Lost Connections. Um, So following on from the meditation book I got last month, I thought I would try something Mm. along the same lines. It's Lost Connections, Why You're Depressed and How to Find Hope. Um, there's not a lot to say about it because, like you know, there's, there's not a it's not a plot based book. Um, but but the guy does some 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 searching into what causes depression. Uh, the, mm. the chap himself was depressed in the eighties, and he was basically told, "Well, your brain's broken. Take antidepressants for the rest of your life." Next, you know, and that was it. <laughs> so then he says, "Well, like, that can't be right," and he he spends the first. So the book's essentially split into three parts. The first part is just introductory. There's two main mm. parts. Uh, one of those is disconnection. So that's him looking like what is causing disconnection? Why, why are we feeling depressed and anxious? And it's, you know, disconnection from meaningful work, from other people, from meaningful values, childhood trauma. And he goes through it kind of various different causes. And throughout this book, and you can see this on the lostconnections.com, throughout the book, he cites a lot. It's written quite, quite lighthearted and bits of it, he yeah. almost writes it like a story. But then there's, there's references to interviews with, with scientists and with, with psychologists and people working in the field. And they're all properly cited and referenced at the back of the book and all the interviews are available yeah. to listen to online. Um, okay. So, so it, it's a scientific study, but it's written quite lighthearted, almost like a novel at times um, to make it more engaging. You know, mm, that's why he's an international perfect. bestseller. It's not a, a journal, you know. Well, yeah. um, but, but the second half then is, is the ways to reconnect reconnecting to other people to meaningful work you know meaningful values and there's a lot of stuff about community and he thinks that basically the way we live today very 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 isolated very selfish uh, and and working you know boring jobs and and that's really not helping us as a society and you know doing volunteer work and getting involved with the community and nature and this kind of stuff um you know he he thinks um are essentially a, a cure for that you know um, I like it. is a great quote materialism is kfc for the soul so like this <laughs> materialist capitalist world is junk food for your soul you know essentially awesome. I like um it. i i think it's a, it's a very it's a, it's an easy to read book because it doesn't read like a it doesn't read like a scientific journal despite the fact that there is a lot of, of evidence quoted in it you know it, right. it makes it quite quite easy to um to read and he talks a lot about his own experiences and also about the experiences of other people. But again, it's always backed up by studies. Um, but one, you know, his, his big point is basically, you know, there was a time when we had rich communities and now we have people who, who nod to each other and then close their door. And this Western world is full of disconnection, you know, mm. and it's, a, it's basically why we're disconnected and then how we can, we can reconnect. And I, I find it quite peaceful and quite enjoyable to, to read and, and, and helpful, actually. Right. So it actually motivates you. It actually brought you up. I think so. Yeah, I, I definitely would. If anyone is, you know, um, thinks that would be helpful to them or, or even, you know, just a pure interest on, on depression, even if you're not depressed yourself and you're just curious. It's a short book. It's only about 300 pages. You know, I, I think it, I, I read it in a week and I, I think that that anyone could could read it quite accessibly. It's, it's quite an enjoyable read, actually, as well. It's a big theme uh, with me at the moment. I mean, like I'm also investigating about how to um, I wouldn't say cure depression, but how to tra- transform form depression into Mm -hmm. self-love and positivity so wow i'd love to i'd love to read that book definitely um does he mention it all blue zones or dan uh butner's work did you ever mention that in the book 
I don't. There's honestly there's there's dozens and dozens of references. I I can't remember offhand. Um, I'm sure I'm sure he does because Dan Butner is just um, kind of a reporter. He's kind of a he's kind of a madman actually. He's kind of a reporter and a cyclist and just kind of like investigate, explore everything together. Right. And he came up with his um, blue zones concept in a, in an article called "The Secrets of a Long Life." And basically, blue zones are these communities around the world. There are only like five he identified um, in Okinawa, in the Icaria, in Greece, Sardinia, Italy, uh, a community in California, and a community in Nicaragua. And basically, what these what these communities have in common is that they are very socially active with one another. And mm-hmm. he actually, scientists have actually proven that. Um, you know, distancing yourself, feeling disconnected, just knowing to your neighbor and isolating at home actually reduces your uh, life expectancy. So wow. if you just have a strong social uh, connection to your neighbors, it's not, then you can actually increase your lifespan. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as that, he also talked about like, you know, uh, a largely plant-based diet, a, a slower pace. So all these communities, they actually just do everything slower. And also that they have a sense of purpose so that everyone knew exactly what mm-hmm. they're doing. Engagement, spirituality, there are different takes, there are different kind of reasons. But I just find it interesting I mentioned that. So like social connection and also distance is extremely um, mm-hmm. important, even though we have a tendency to like say we're, we're, we want to isolate ourselves. Yeah. I should say that, you know, in investigating this, he speaks to dozens of people and he travels the world. You know, he says, well, let's see mm-hmm. how the Amish live. You know, let's go to somewhere across the world. Oh, let's find a community who were living where the Berlin Wall was and hear their story right. about how, you know, their, their, when the Berlin Wall came down, the area they were living in went from being, you know, essentially a, a trouble zone to being prime real estate. So they, you know, tripled their rent and they couldn't afford to live there anymore. And wow. all this kind of touching stories about like immigrants and gay communities that were both marginalized coming together and making a community and, and, and helping each other. Like there's a lot of really touching stories in it, you know. Well, I'd love to read it, yeah. So it's it's very, very good. Um, have you got one more? Uh, yeah. Um, oh, before that, guys, I just want to mention that if you actually are interested in, in that, you can join um, the Holy Wholesome Life on Facebook, mm-hmm. as well as Yang Morning Meditation with PJ. So this is something I do uh, with my partner, uh, Lisa Fox, which is basically helping people with depression and turn and turn that into into self-love through plant-based nutrition. So if you want to check us out, check us out on Facebook, uh, Mastermind, and YouTube. And yeah. And what look, in, I the, wanted, in the other yeah. project section on, on booksboys.com, there is a link to the Holy Wholesome Life. By the time the episode goes out, I'm going to try to get a link to your YouTube channel as well so that everyone can, can just easily access that as well. Thank you very much. And we all just provide free information and help. So feel free if you just want to <laughs> join hands. By the uh, way, before you, know, you get into your book, I have a quick addendum, yeah. PJ. I, I've been made to apologize because last month I said, oh, when I got Trafalgar, the guy gave it to me for free because I bought so many other books in Galicia. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, I didn't buy a single book. Uh, Valerie the Pigeon Detective bought all of those books. Um, so Valerie I've just been asked to, to clarify that I, I didn't pay for a single book myself on that, <laughs> on that trip. All right, okay. It's on record right now. <laughs> uh, thanks, Valerie the Pigeon Detective. We appreciate your engagement. And uh, basically, she's basically sponsoring us, right? I and mean, that's basically uh, a sponsor. She's sponsor. Yeah. She paid yeah, half for a dozen books. books, you know, more she than that, actually. Probably a dozen books so far. Yeah. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.